Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. My name is Corey Wharton Malcolm, aka Bit Beefy, and I am the host of this podcast, The Tub Hub. Now, if this is the first time that you're listening to The Tub Hub, this podcast explores the word help in all its forms. We ask our guests, do they ask for help? Do they ask for help? How does helping others make them feel? Do people ask them for help? Why do they ask for help? And what sort of an impact does helping others have on their well-being? And obviously during the current times, we can't not discuss George Floyd, the protests, racism. We can't not discuss sexism and inequality. But before I go too deeply into what it is that we're going to discuss, I'm going to introduce you to my guest who is joining me in the tub, not in the same tub as me, in another tub. Hello, who are you? Hello, I'm definitely not in the same tub, I'm in a tub far, far away. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, my name is Aisha Walters, um, and I am the owner of Benchmark Gymnastics Club, uh, Recreational Gymnastics Club. I am someone that delivers coach education on behalf of British Gymnastics nationally um, and I am a former elite athlete. You're a former elite athlete Aisha, please tell us a little bit about being a former elite athlete. Ah well I used to do gymnastics and um, weirdly I started very very late. I was um, introduced to it by a good friend of mine who told me that she wouldn't be taking me to the gym club unless I could perform an acrobatic skill off the end of a brick wall into a main road. Um, because she didn't want me to show her up when she took me there. Um, and when oh, I went there, we couldn't really afford the fees. And so the coach, who was uh, a wonderful, wonderful guy, um, came up with the solution that if he taught me how to coach, I could coach in return for receiving coaching. So oh, wow. um, from a very early age, I learned to coach in return for being coached. So and how old were you then, Aisha? I started late. I started at 10, 11, uh -huh. um, and then I won the British Championships at a level that was at the time the highest level you could compete at, compete at master class level. I won that at um, age 16. Um, just casually, casually dropping that in. Casually. There's and nothing how... like um, a bit of grit and a bit of determination and someone telling you you're rubbish for you to prove a point in your life. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to touch on that. Um, a little bit later, Aisha. Um, but how how do we know each other, and how long have we known each other for? We've known each other for forever. So we <laughs> have known each other um, since I'm going to say since we were about twenty, which is wow. gonna without oh we have to give away ages here, Corey. Which <laughs> yes. Well that over is, 20 years. Yeah, that's um, well over 20 years. Well over 20 years. So my cousin and best, best friend in the world is married to one of your best, best friends in the world. Yes. And as a result, us guys hung out a lot, starting back in the day around places like Coliseum. Yes, when we were ravers. We when were we used ravers. to wear soft bottom Gucci loafers and drink Long. champagne all night. The hedonistic yes, a lifestyle. Very long time ago, <laughs> when when your running consisted of the running man, Corey. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you've obviously seen this journey. You've watched me transition from from raver to runner. I might actually, <laughs> do you know what? I might call my book that the raver to runner. 
do you know and 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 we are very proud of your journey corey very proud oh, of thank you very thank much you very so. much yeah um so over over the years um you've obviously been doing gymnastics since you were 10 years old and you've given away now that you might be over 40. um mm. have have you received help along the way and have you given help to others along the way as it sounds like you have yeah i think i was quite um resistant to help i think i was quite stubborn initially to receiving help because it was perceived as a weakness to need help um and therefore I, I didn't want it initially um and at the start of the journey you when you're quite immature you you don't want help and you want to do everything yourself if you're stubborn like i was um, <laughs> and so the help was definitely there and i definitely um tried not to take it for a considerable amount of time um, but yet weirdly got an immense amount of joy out of giving it but for some reason didn't want to receive it um, so, sorry to cut you Aisha why no, why do sorry. you think why do you think it's not even why do you think where did you get the idea from the asking for help was in some way a sign of weakness um raised by a very strong woman a very mm. strong single parent woman that you know i don't know you don't ask for things you know no. you don't have it then you make do without it <laughs> yes you get by don't you and you just don't ask so if you don't have you don't have and and that was kind of the way that we were raised and it was fine and, and we, we were fine and so Having been raised that way, I, I was I was a big reader, and so I always kind of felt like I could find my own way. I could find my own answers. I could find my own solutions. I was very strong mentally. I was very strong physically. I was a workhorse, and I did it <laughs> myself. And you know that's quite stubborn and quite ignorant. But I guess I didn't have the maturity for a long time to realize that that was stubborn and ignorant and and I was getting to where I needed to go so I figured it was worth it. So do you think that asking for help kind of comes with age and maturity as in so as whether it's young adults or young people we are lured into believing that not asking for help ever 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 is a good thing when I think from time to time we What's the old phrase? We cut our nose off to, to, to spy oh, our face. Absolutely. Like, I think, I think of... it, no, it, depends, it depends on the context, doesn't it? Like, mm -hmm. if, if a child says to you, um, I need help, can you do my shoelaces? That's just sheer laziness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you can, you can overuse help a little bit. Um, yeah. But that you can have a young child that's incredibly wise that knows that asking for help is a really smart thing because... I'm saving myself a lot of heartache here because there's somebody that's been down this road and traveled this journey and can teach me how to do this really quickly and save me years of heartache by showing me how to do this. Um, and, 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 uh, go on, sorry, go ahead. And at what point did you work that out, Aisha, that it was um, a good thing to ask for help? Do you know what, Corey? One of my biggest passions and one of the things I love to do the most help people so it just seems stupid <laughs> that 
I was there going, no, I don't need any help. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'm fine. And then going, please let me help you. Like, I can make your life so much easier, but don't help me. Like, at some point, you have to go, I should. That's just stupid. Like, that's really silly. And, and it, it's one of those light bulb moments where you go, like, I am not the fountain of knowledge. I am not <laughs> the knower of all things. Like, I have this pot of knowledge, and there is many, many giants whose shoulders I would like to stand upon who know far more than me that are standing there waiting to share their information. And, you know, I have so many great mentors who are so much wiser than me that I now sit at their feet and go, what would you do? Can I just yep. share this with you? Can you tell me your thoughts? What do you think? And, and they now have the opening to ring me and go, where are you at? What are you doing? Let me come and sit with you. Show me what you're like. Let's talk about where you're going, Aisha. What's your business doing? And they know that they can pick up the phone and just probe and just yeah. go, show me, show me your plans. Let me tell you what I think. And they, they have full access and full right to do that because they now know that I understand that actually it's going to save me a lot of heartache and a lot of mistakes to just listen. And so when you now have been, well, you haven't been placed, you have placed yourself in a position whereby you can help others. You mentioned that that, that makes you, it's not even you, you said that you love helping others. So why do you love helping others? Like, what do you, what do you get from it? What's the point? Do you know what it is? It's not, it's not even that I'm helping them because that sounds like I'm giving them something. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm unlocking something in them that they didn't realize that they had. Boom. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm not giving them something. It's not me giving them my wisdom. It, the, the, the joy that I get is unlocking something in them that they didn't realize they had and yeah. seeing the realization on them that they're capable. Yeah. That for me is the most exciting moment when they, they, it clicks, it occurs to them that they're capable, that they can do this, that they're smart enough, that they're able, that they have the tool set, that they have the knowledge, that they're, that they're, they're just capable. And that for me is like, it's a gift to me. Like they've done me a favor that I can walk away going, that person now believes, like they now know that they, they can do this. Like when yeah. I get to see that growth in them, it's not, oh, I should this big, you know, <laughs> I went in and I made them better. It's not, it's not that at all. It's, I went in and I was like, you know, a lot of the time it's just me throwing something back to them. They'll go, how do I do this? And I'll be going, how do you think you do it? Yeah. And they'll go, well, I was going to do it like this. Well, if you do it like that, what will happen? And it's, it's just pulling out of them what's already there. And when they realise that they've got the answers, I'm not giving them the answers, I'm just making them realise that they've already got them, the confidence that that gives them, the empowerment you see come out of them, and then stepping up and then growing to two inches, that for me just gives me so much. That because I, what's really what what's really interesting about everything that you just said is that you speak to to some coaches and they will question sometimes some of the things that other coaches say like i say a lot i shouldn't see you 
after <laughs> after a certain amount of time because mm. my work here should be done. Mm. And some people are like, what are you talking about? You're like, you're supposed <laughs> you're supposed to try and keep these people for as long as you can. How do you how do you get income? How do you get income if you don't keep these people for a prolonged period of time? And I'm like, I understand that we all need income. We all have an income, but our job as coaches is to pass on our learnings and for the people to, I guess, listen to us, learn from us and, and then take on their own lessons and they then become teachers. As in, you're supposed to come in and pick up a couple of skills from me, some life lessons, a couple of drills, I'll teach you how to run a little bit. And then you go off into the wide world and be like, okay, so I learned this from this place. Now I go somewhere else to learn something. As in, you don't go to school <laughs> for 150 years. You stay at school for one year, two year, three year, four year. You're always learning, but you then move on to something else or somewhere else. And I think that's what is awesome about coaches. Like you can choose to, to pass people on to another great mentor or another great teacher, or you can hold on to them. And what do you, you like doing? Those people will come back to you. Yes. They won't come back to you just to be coached. They'll come back to you for fellowship because of the way that you left them feeling. Yes. They're not coming back to learn. They're coming back to be around. Yeah. And that's different. And that's for me, that, that, that's what successful coaching is. Yes. Um, <laughs> notice I got incredibly excited about that because that is exactly what successful coaching is about. Yeah. Many of the people that I've learned from, I will always learn from them. Like I'll always WhatsApp them. I'll always text them. I'll always blast off their phone. And when I see them, I will always be excited to see them because I know that even to this day, I'm still learning from them. They're still teaching me stuff. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I'm in the position that I'm at, I'm in the position that I'm in is because so many people have given me their knowledge as you so beautifully articulated earlier on, you go and sit at the feet of these incredibly wise, knowledgeable people. And that's what I spend most of my day doing, just like sapping up energy and information and knowledge and happiness and joy. And yeah. you've seen some of that <laughs> in our little Monday night calls. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, I last year my coach died and... Oh. Um, and I was quite a stroppy teenager when he taught me to be honest. I was quite difficult. I know it's hard for you to imagine. Quality. I know. I know. And, um, and his family came to me and asked me to talk at his funeral. And, um, and I read at his funeral and I said, you know, there was three of us there that were probably his most elite gymnasts. Mm -hmm. And I called the other two up and I said, look, you know, when he taught, um, I now run a gymnastics company that has over a thousand gymnasts participating. Of those thousand, some of those, like, we now have 23 coaches, and I'm sure we'll have more. And the other, one of the other elite gymnasts is now a, a head physio for the English National Ballet. She got into physio because she loved watching the sports physios when we were training. Oh, Another wow. one of the gymnasts runs her own purpose-built facility, and her gymnasts train at an elite level. And they will go on to become coaches, and they will go on possibly to own their own clubs. And I'm like look at the legacy yep. that he has created although he has passed away his legacy will go on and on and on and on and, and people underestimate 
what these coaches legacy is like when when you have a great coach don't forget what they leave in that human being you know every person can turn around and go i had this teacher at school that was horrific and i couldn't stand them this is how they made me feel and everybody can go back and go i had this teacher at school and they were amazing and this is how they made me feel and people sometimes forget the impacts that coaches have and i just think it's really important that people don't forget to value how much significance a coach plays on the people that they are coaching. Now, do you think that that sort of coaching can be taught when doing your, whatever the equivalent is to your gymnastics level one or level two? When you teach a coach, do you think that knowledge is imparted as part of a qualification or is it, as you said, solely down to the individual? As in, do you think a framework can be set up so that 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 type of coaching is the norm as opposed to really special people? Um, I think if you go into a shop and you're served by someone in the shop, everybody in the shop knows that they're not meant to talk to their colleague when they're serving you. They've been taught that. They know that. They know what the rules are. They know what good customer service is. Whether they choose to embrace that or not is personality and work ethic. So British Gymnastics, their education department do teach it. It is part of the curriculum. And I beg people when I teach it, when I deliver the coaching courses, I beg them, please think about when you are <laughs> I literally, Corey, like I'm so animated when I deliver it. Like they have a video in one of the courses where they show gymnasts giving testimony of how they perceive their coach this is how my coach makes me feel this is how i remember them and i and i asked the question if i were to pull your gymnast in now without you in the room and ask them what they think of you what would their testimony of you be and i asked them and i go please think about the legacy that you are using we do that but Once they leave that course, their personality and their work ethic, how they apply that, I can't police that. And we can do our best to police it, and we can do spot checks, and we can do all of those other things, and we can put reporting uh, reporting procedures in place and, and all of those other things, but you know, I've never met another me. And you've never <laughs> done it. And, you know, That's I'm what I'm going to call it. Yeah, but, you know, people are going to do it their way. And some of them will do it better than me. Some of them will do it differently to me. Some, but no, I can't. I can just ask you to do it. Um, and some of you will do it your own way. And I'll, I'll take things from that and go, That's brilliant. I've never thought of it like that. Um, and some of you, I'll go, Why are you doing that when you know that that is poor? Now speaking, now speaking of things like that, I, I recently watched the the awful, terrible documentary on Netflix about the the, the physiotherapist. Has has any of that um, had any effect on on anything at the club level, like? I watched that documentary and if no one has watched it, I'm not going to say I'll go and watch it because it is disturbing viewing. Heartbreaking. Yeah. 
um, but it's about a, correct me if I'm wrong, it's about a, a physiotherapist, the physiotherapist for the USA gymnastics team who was caught um, basically. Yeah, Dianessa um, touching um, athletes inappropriately from a very, very young age. Oh, it was just shocking. It was just shocking. He, he, he was put in a position where he should never have been allowed to, to do medical examinations one-on-one -on -one with minors without another adult present is unheard of. Like, I, I, I've no idea how that situation ever came to pass to begin with. And then when concerns were raised by children, it wasn't investigated, it was dismissed, he was allowed to continue. It, there was just a catalogue of absolutely disgraceful things that took place. Um, and it has had a knock-on effect in British gymnastics. It's had a knock-on effect that um, it's now come to light that there's been a lot of um, accusations in the UK, not, not sexual accusations. Um, everything that so far that's come to light has been, uh, interestingly, mental and emotional um, abuse accusations um, and as far as I've seen the mainstream media they appear to be in the elite in the elite realm um, with a certain coaches um, not that that makes it any less because it doesn't abuse is abuse and it's always unacceptable um, as far as uh, it's happened in the UK so far British gymnastics have now asked for uh, an entirely independent body to do uh, an independent investigation to ensure that it is thoroughly investigated um, and dealt with appropriately um, to see if there has uh, been anything that they should have done differently. Um, it's really difficult because although I deliver for coach education um, and every everything that I've been given to deliver, I have to say, from my perspective, they've always been very, very thorough. So there is an open door policy that the coaches should never, ever, ever be one-on-one -on -one with a gymnast. There should always be another adult present to avoid the possibility of abuse. Um, there are robust reporting procedures. Now, I say that if there has been abuse taking place and those procedures aren't working, and I'm not going to defend that. Um, so I think it's really good that there is a separate independent uh, body being set up to investigate them and, and I look forward to seeing how that turns out. I just think it's really sad that anybody would want to work with children and then abuse that position. Yeah. You know? I just think it's really, I mean, I've seen, I, I went to my kids' school one day and I watched this teacher talking to the kids and you know, you know me, Corey, I'm quite outspoken and I, and I sat <laughs> up beside the teacher. No. I know, right? And I sat up beside the teacher and I just kind of whispered in her ear and said, you know, you don't like children don't work with children. <laughs> it's just unnecessary. I just think people, you can't live vicariously through people, people, you know, if you want to be the best at something, go put on a leotard yourself and compete. Otherwise, you know, get over so yourself. Who do, you, who do you prefer coaching, Aisha? Um, young people or adults? Uh, young people. Do you know what? Honestly, Corey, hand on heart, the people cool. I love coaching the most are mm. autistic children. Oh, Tell me more. You know why? Go on. Because they are just, oh, they, Aisha, I don't think you said that the best way that you could say it. <laughs> and actually, I don't think what you said makes any kind of sense. Yeah. And they are just so logical and yeah. methodical and they make so much sense. 
and there's no waffle and there's no confusion and everything is just so systematic that mm. it just it's just so sensible that I just love yeah. it. I used to work over at Moberly Sports Centre um, in my youth working days. And there were, basically we used to run trampoline nights along with like parkour and gymnastics evening. But the, the trampolining evening was for our disability group, which was predominantly autistic young people and adults. And I remember my first couple of sessions, I, I wasn't a very good trampoliner. And I no way! <laughs> I remember stepping onto the trampoline and all I was trying to do was that little uh you know the where you you jump in the air and then you kind of land on your stomach with your palms laid front flat drop. and you yeah a front drop and then after the front drop you you come up and you do like a little spin and you basically land in a front drop but facing the other way yeah you're not allowed to so, put a drop anymore, evidently, you've got to call it front landing, sorry. Oh, a front, la a front landing. So I was doing, <laughs> attempting to do a front land. Um, and I got off after thinking that I did really, really well. And one of the young ladies, she just looked at me and she was like, Corey? I was like, yes. So she was like, that was terrible. Don't do it again. <laughs> and then and then just walked off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I, and I looked at my friend, Matty, who was also another coach, and he was like, bro, every week. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, so this is this is just the norm here. You just get abuse for yeah. for 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 poor for for poor performance, and they're like, yeah, they don't care, like because yeah, there's no. Do you know what the ones that that people can't reach? Because I've been coaching, I've been coaching for like twenty six years, and oh, I've worked wow. in behavioural units with kids that people describe as having behavioural issues, and I don't think they have, have behavioural issues. I think people just don't understand them. And yeah. I love the kids that no one else can unlock. I can study and unlock. Like this one kid I was teaching the other day, and he came up to me and said, I said, you know, are we going to have a good day? And he's like, yeah, we're going to have a good day. And you know what, Miss Aisha? I'm not even going to punch you in the face today. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a great day. You're not even going to punch me in the face. That's great. Like, wow. All right, thanks. But and is that you how you responded? And like, I can have a conversation with this kid and go, you know, when you came in and you were thinking about punching things, do you know why you were thinking about punching things? Because if we can work out why you felt like that, maybe we can try to, you know, figure out how we can change that feeling. And to having the ability to unpick them and help them, because sometimes they don't understand why they're angry and they just want you to go beside them and help them figure out what makes them angry so they don't feel angry anymore because who wants to actually feel angry no one so Aisha, we have spoken a lot about helping others now when you receive this help from these young people from your mentors from your friends from your family how does that make you feel inside does that make you want to continue giving back? Does that make you feel warm and fluffy? Does it tire you out? As we've we've spoken briefly, not myself and yourself, but on other podcasts, we've spoken about people just wanting to hide away in small balls <laughs> and not take any more help. So how do you make you feel? Well, when people the, the initially help with me, when people help me initially, it's usually really frustrating because the help oh. the help for me usually begins with. So I have a condition called lupus, and um, it, it, my help usually begins by people saying to me, stop and slow down, and I usually get really cross, 
because I'm like, I've got too much to do, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. And it's usually, it'll start with my husband saying, Aisha, 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 just stop. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand, I've got this, I've got this, blah, blah, blah. and then uh, I've got a mentor who I adore, a lady called Colleen Hugh, who I've known since I was 14, who is just one of the wisest, most sophisticated women I know. And she will ring me out of the blue and she'll be like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And she'll be like, too much, too much, too much. And she'll be like, I'm coming up on Wednesday, and no, you're not doing any of it. And she'll just be like, breaks on immediately. And I'll be like, but Colleen, but Colleen, but Colleen. But I'm also a little bit scared of her, a little bit intimidated, and I know she's right. So usually the help is quite frustrated, because I'm like, everyone's telling me to stop. Everyone's telling me to do less, and I don't understand. And then, um, and then when I slow down, then I start to get a little bit more grateful. Mm-hmm. And I go, no, they're right, actually. I can think. I can relax, I understand, um, and then I get better stuff. And then once I slow down, I'm much more comfortable giving things away and going, oh, I can, I can trust people with stuff. Because for me, often it's trust. Like I'll yes. give someone a project and then I want to double check it because I'm like, no, they, they will have missed it. They won't have, <laughs> they, they, they won't have mentioned that. They would have, they, you know, they don't understand this bit. And, you know, I'm the only one that holds the pieces for the whole puzzle. So they won't have, you know, factored in this bit and that bit and that bit. So, so often it's it's a trust issue. Um, so now, do you think trust sometimes, or a lack of trust, stunts our growth as people? Yeah, hundred percent. Whilst protecting us, hundred <laughs> percent. And I think what we have to do is trust. It, it, it's a perfection thing, isn't it? Because whilst they may miss that bit. And whilst it may mean that it's not exactly how I would have done it, it won't fail. Yes. It just won't be exactly how I would have done it. It will still be okay. It just won't be exactly how I would have done it. And just making peace with that. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, you're back. (laughs) You're back. Sorry. Sometimes it's just making peace with the fact that because it's not exactly how I would have done it, doesn't mean that it's not okay. And that's what I have found with a lot of the people that, it's not even people, it's it's as you said, it's, do you know what, I don't even know if for me it's control, it's, it's more a case of, when I first started, I always used to look at things as like my baby or me and Jules's baby or like out like this is our little project. This is, but when you wake up or when you realize that this thing is no longer your little project, it's everybody else's. Now Aisha, the George Floyd, the recent protests, yeah. racism, Black Lives Matter, systematic <laughs> racism. Yes. How, what, what's it like in, in, in gymnastics? As in, is there a, is, is, is there a problem with institutional racism in the sport or in any of the industries that you work in? Uh, do you know what? It's really, it's not funny. None of it's funny. It's <laughs> funny. I'm, going, I'm going with irony. They, um, so London Gymnastics posted a Facebook post and it said, we are about diversity and equality within the sport. And a person who shall remain nameless immediately, and I, and I 
will allow you to guess the colour of this person, responded <laughs> oh immediately God. and said, there is no racism in our sport. All right, mate. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> That's and what I, intelligent, smart I, people do. We just go, oh, okay. Okay, okay. I'm glad you cleared that up, Russell. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to knee-jerk react to this. I'm not going to be a keyboard warrior. And the reason I didn't want to knee-jerk react to this is because I'm an educator for British Gymnastics. I teach nationally. Um, but, Corey, to the best of my knowledge, I am the only black female educator in the country. Yeah. So Can you I say that again for the people in the back. Right. Only black female educator in the country, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. So I could be wrong, but I have not come across another female black. And to my knowledge, there is only, and again I could be wrong, but to my knowledge there is only one black male educator in the country. That's so I, I wanted to give a sophisticated, educated response. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to just ramble an answer. I want to take mm -hmm. a minute and compose myself. Mm -hmm. So whilst I was taking a minute, somebody who wasn't an educator <laughs> <laughs> jumped in and was like, you know, um, how do you get to just decide that there's no racism? And yeah. they quite rightly said, if there is no racism, name me a black national coach. Name yeah. me a black national judge. Name yeah. me a senior black member of staff at British Gymnastics. Name yeah. me one if there yeah. isn't any racism at British Gymnastics. Yeah. And it turned into a bit of a spat online. Yeah. So, I wanted it to not be a spat. I wanted it to be a discussion because when people become defensive, they don't listen. Yeah, they shut down. So I went back and I said to this person, I'm really glad you've commented because it means you're ready to engage in a conversation. Go on. And I really want to have a conversation with you because it's a really important conversation to have. So... When you say there's no racism in British gymnastics, please can you expand for me and tell me <laughs> what you're basing that on so that we can really engage in a really useful, constructive dialogue. So I shall set a trap for this poor woman. <laughs> you know what she said, Corey? <laughs> you know what she said? I feel very attacked. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so she I'm felt like, fragile, the fragility like, boy. Dear Karen, I can't help you. Yeah. Like, literally, what can I do with that? Dear Karen, I can't help you. So, um, I have to say, the department that I work with at British Gymnastics, the education department, I've always found very, very, very receptive to feedback and very, very open to listening. Um, in terms of representation of black people within the organisation itself, no, we're not very well represented. No, not at all. Uh, if I walk into a conference, I am most definitely one of the very few black people there. Um, I am very regularly approached by people that go, I know your face from somewhere. And I'm hey, like, from I, where? Yeah, I'm the only black face you see. That is the only reason. You know <laughs> um, so, no, uh, it's not. Now, how, not do we, well. how do we change that across um, the board uh, in gymnastics? 
I'm, I'm going to have a conversation. I am going to, um, like I said, the head of education at Richmond Nurses, I have massive respect for. Um, and I am going to be calling them and having a conversation and going, you know, based on this, what changes do you anticipate making? And, you know, where are you at with this? And I, I do expect them to be quite open to that discussion. Um, because I do feel like there does need to be some kind of change and there does need to be more diversity uh, to represent it because you know if there are people speaking out you you may or may not follow the sport a lot but uh, Becky and Ellie Downey are two uh, national gymnasts that represent sport that have spoken out and uh, they've mm -hmm. spoken out more about the abuse than anything but they are two uh, two black gymnasts that are representing our country um, that are in a position to really make a difference as well um, and how old are they? They're I, I want to say early 20s. Okay. So they're, they're not youngsters. Um, so, yeah, I think, but, but to be honest with you, Corey, just as uh, Black Lives Matters was picking up and just as the George Floyd issue was becoming a real topic to really get between your teeth, the abuse thing kicked in in our sport. So yeah. that has become the main focal point for gymnastics. And yes. so it kind of became something that became a, a, a much more point of discussion. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it almost became like it wasn't the time to, to talk about racism because they, you know... They're, yeah, they're we're, we're talking about young people being abused. Yeah, no, I fully understand. Yeah. Um, um, and from... You, you obviously coach grassroots. Um, what is it like from a grassroots point of view with regards to the people that are coming into the sport, as in, is the disparity between, I guess, ethnic minorities and non-ethnic minorities at the senior level exactly the same at the grassroots levels? Or are there a lot more black people and ethnic minorities participating in the sport at a grassroots level? Um, look, because of where we're based, uh -huh. So we're based predominantly in South London. Yep. So, so where we're based, we I think we've got quite a good even mix. Um, so we were originally, uh, we did have one site in Thornton Heath. We're now in Stretton. We're in Sydenham, so based in Southwark. Um, we're in Shepherd's Bush. Um, we've got a base in Croydon. So where we're based, we see a, a good mixture of ethnicities within the club. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're quite even killed, to be honest with you. Um, and, and in terms of uh, their drive and their work ethic, I think we've got a good mixture as well. So we've got some from, from all ethnicities that are really, really driven, some that are literally there to see their friends, some that are there because their parents said they had to be there and <laughs> their minimum that they have to do and no more. Um, so I think it's quite quite even, if I'm honest with you. Wicked. And all of these wonderful things that you do, Aisha, does it have a positive impact on your mental well-being? Does it make you sleep better at night? <laughs> no, of course. Okay. <laughs> it, um, it's exhausting. Do you know what? Um, it's funny, I haven't listened to it in full, but I listened to a snippet of Michelle Obama's podcast yes. uh, where she was talking about uh, more is never enough. 
and oh. I just think it's one of those industries where it, it never ends. Like this week, mm-hmm. we've been running a holiday camp for 100 kids, but it's been yeah. a holiday camp where they're doing maths and they're doing English and they're doing gymnastics and they're doing musical theatre. And then I was like, actually, we could put on another holiday camp in a couple of weeks, so let's quickly get that up and running. And actually, and like every day, I wake up and go, actually, let's add that and actually. <laughs> so every day, I just wake up and create a new headache for everybody. So it's it's like there's never really a sense of completion. But I think I'd be bored if there was. So, so what are you what are you chasing, Aisha? I don't think I'm chasing anything. I don't like before lockdown, we were getting ready uh-huh. to turn it into a franchise. Go on. And then I was like, well, no one's going to really want to buy a franchise now because we don't know if there's a second wave coming and we're in the middle of an abuse scandal and people are losing their jobs. So who wants to buy a franchise? So let's go back to the drawing board with that one. So then you just have to remold. So then we're like, okay so if there's a second wave let's go to our online school and let's get filming so that we can do an online um program that we can sell so is that is, sorry Asha, so is that something that has come out of lockdown as in you've just started doing online classes now 100 percent. you got a pivot corey pivot <laughs> so <laughs> so prior to you pivoting did you have any did you have any intention of doing online classes before covid bridge that's amazing and yeah. how have you found that process you clear you obviously asked for help as you on tell me if i'm wrong you haven't got a tripod and a sexy camera uh well that's why i married someone's very creative <laughs> so poor, poor man's like basically just designs everything i go i know what and he's half jamaican half german uh-huh. So he's like really laid back because he goes, that's a really good idea. But then he's yes. in German. So he's like, I really need it to be perfect. So I need the right camera. So, um, so he's the one that's Fantastic. like, we need a green screen. We can't do it half-hearted. We need to do it well. So he's okay. like, a green screen and this camera. And we need this editing equipment. And we need it to look like this. So, um, oh, so hold on. So I can bring Raffin in for some, for some editing and things. Obviously paid. Well, well, that's your conversation with him, my friend. That's between you and him, and I shall see my way out of that conversation. Fantastic. Now, Aisha, where can people find out more about you, whether that's on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it is? Where can people find out more? Oh, these poor people don't want to hear any more from me, Corey. They no, can find yeah. out more Benchmark www.benchmarkgym.com or they can find me on Insta at Aisha waters how simple is that a-i-s-h-a waters easy Easy, and uh one last thing one thing i never prepare people for is have you got a question for me a question for you and that's what everyone says corey 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 what's next um what's next for me um do you know what covid has has changed a lot of things and the protests and the George Floyd murder has changed a lot of things. As in, so regardless of of what I may or may not have had planned, being inside for three months 
has ever so slightly changed the way <laughs> that my brain operates and I've started creating even more ridiculous things. As in prior to COVID, if you said to me, uh, what you're going to do through, through lockdown is you're going to swing umbrellas around on camera um, to soca music and put it on Instagram and people are going to like it, I, I would have asked you if you were right, if you lost your mind. Um, but I started preparing these weird little videos and people seem to like them. Um, and also through the protests and through the George Floyd murder, like more people are interested, shall we say, in what black people are doing. Um, so the fact that people are more interested in what it is that black people are doing, and because I've been doing this and because we've been doing this for, for, for seven, eight, nine, ten plus years, we are kind of in a position to, to talk about the things that we've been doing, to, to show the good work that we've been doing. So the next step for me is to continue to, to grow and to continue to build on that momentum. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about doing is something that I actually did um, on Global Running Day, which was I ran to some of the local businesses that obviously due to COVID, um, some of those businesses were closed, but I ran to local black businesses and I kind of highlighted what they sell, what they do or how they work and kept running. Um, so I'm going to be turning that into a proper little micro series or little docu-series for Instagram or YouTube, wherever it's going to go, I'm not sure, because I think that there are, there are more, there's more than one way to protest. Um, there's more than one way to educate and I think people such as ourselves with the platforms that we have should continue to do and continue to think of creative ways to educate people because as you said once you have someone's backup they don't listen and yeah we, sh we shouldn't have to, to speak quietly but if we know full well how communication works then we can't be upset that people aren't listening when we aren't communicating in the way that they understand. And I am, before this gets taken out of context, I'm not for one minute saying that we should have to do that. But what I am saying is, is that as smart, intelligent people, we know how people listen. We know how people communicate. So if we already know the answer to that communication, let's communicate to people in in a way that they can listen and hear and start to change things so that's what i'm going to do big up <laughs> that's what i'm going to continue to do just keep, just keep building and like keep spreading the message keep speaking to people such as yourself keep speaking to young people keep speaking to our allies and like don't be afraid to to speak out. Proud um, so, yeah. glory. Thank you. Um, so, people, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining me, or should I say, joining us on the latest episode of the Tub Hub. Say bye, Aish. <laughs> I will see you all in final thoughts.
So here we are, people. Yes. We are back for final thoughts. Thank you for listening to the last episode of The Tub Hub. What did you think? What did you get from it this week? I mean, we touched on a number of subjects, but as always, there are a few that really, really stood out for me. Firstly, the lovely young lady who who said that racism doesn't exist. Now, as I discussed with my little sister a few weeks ago, you cannot question people's reality. As in, you can't say that racism doesn't exist because you personally haven't experienced it. That's rude. I think the question, if you have a question, should more be, tell me about when you've experienced racism. Maybe I can help. Maybe we can work together to change things as opposed to immediately feeling attacked when the comment didn't have a label. It didn't say racism exists, such and such. So why is it that someone always needs to come to the defence of the comment? Unless you believe that it's you that needs to do the defending. And if so, why? Just something for you to think about. What was also really interesting was when we spoke about coaching. And this was something that I really, really loved about our discussion. The fact that Aisha said that when you've worked with people or or when you have coached someone or, or when you have been coached, People return for fellowship. People return because they want to be around you, because they want to be near you, because they want to be with you, because you have in some way, shape or form had a positive influence on their life. That is how we should all want to be remembered. That's what we're here for, to have a positive impact on other people's lives. Just something for you to think about. Final thoughts.